is they're getting probably more information now um, than they probably have ever gotten. Uh, and it's because we realize that uh, the lack of face-to-face -face time with them requires us to communicate uh, much more regularly with them in order to keep them abreast of what's going on. I think that's absolutely critical uh, for any uh, bill to move forward, uh, is how do we ensure that the people who, are, uh, who have most at stake in sending their kids to school uh, are able to have a voice and a seat at the table. Welcome to the Daily Line Clubcast. I'm Alex Nitkin. I will be your host this week. So normally when people think of lobbyists, they think of private interests, right? These kinds of slick, kind of under-the-radar operators who are pushing for legislation that would benefit the real estate industry or the auto industry or, or big tech. But governments also have their own lobbyists, and those lobbyists try to nudge other levels of government toward legislation they think would benefit their own constituencies. So, for example, lobbyists representing Cook County and Chicago and Illinois are pushing really hard in Washington, D.C. right now to get Congress to pass more direct support for state and local governments. And now that the Illinois General Assembly has started its regular session, representatives of the city and the county are doing the same kind of work in Springfield. And that's where today's guests come in. John Robertson is Cook County's Director of External Affairs, and his job is basically to advocate for County Board President Tony Preckwinkle's agenda at all levels of government. You'll hear from him in a few minutes, but first, we also talk to Manny Perez, and that's Chicago's Deputy Mayor for Intergovernmental Affairs. If you haven't heard of Perez, your alderman and your state representative definitely have. He's the one who is, as he puts it, constantly on the phone with legislators, trying to persuade them to get on board with Mayor Lori Lightfoot's legislative priorities. So with the Springfield session underway, I talked to Perez about what the state can do to help Chicago get through to the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic, and what a proposal for an elected Chicago school board would have to look like in order for this mayor to get behind it. Take a listen. Deputy Mayor Manny Perez, thank you so much for being on the Cloudcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Great. So let's start off before we dive into uh, the mayor's agenda in Springfield this year. Just tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into government and what led you into your current role in the administration. I, I grew up just outside of the city in Cicero. Um, the son of Mexican immigrants. I'm the oldest of five. Uh, and both of my parents worked in uh, you know, factory jobs, uh, doing manual labor. And when I was a kid, uh, my father would work the first shift, my mother would work the second shift. And so I really got a chance to see how hard both of them worked to earn a living. Uh, and it was during those years um, that uh, I would see uh, on TV sort of the, the process that occurred in Cicero with uh, our former uh, town president, uh, Betty Lauren Maltese. Uh, and I saw how she uh, got uh, indicted and convicted of stealing money from the town. And so that had a profound impact on me because I saw how hard my parents worked to earn, to earn a living. Uh, and it was a shame that um, an elected official had taken advantage of that. And I saw and I felt that it was stealing from people like my parents. And so at that point, I decided that I wanted to be involved uh, in public service, that I wanted to do right by people, average people who are 
just trying to make a living, trying to survive and provide for their families. Deputy Mayor for Intergovernmental Affairs is not a position, I think, that is maybe as visible as a lot of other, you know, senior members of the administration. So help me understand um, what that role entails, who you're overseeing, um, what your job is like on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, you know, the, the role is uh, might not be as public facing as some of the other senior leadership roles in the office. But I would certainly say that uh, it is visible to the elected officials that we interact with on a daily basis. The intergovernmental affairs team uh, consists really of three parts. Uh, a team of lobbyists that uh, is based in D.C. that lobbies members of Congress and the federal government. Uh, a team that lobbies the state legislature uh, and goes down to Springfield during session. Uh, they're based in Chicago. Uh, and then a team that uh, lobbies the city council. Uh, so those three components comprise the team. And my day-to-day uh, is really supporting uh, our team as we inter- interact and interface with uh, elected officials at all levels of the government. Uh, so it really ranges uh, from uh, dealing with a, it could be a ward-specific issue in a neighborhood. Uh, an alderman is trying to navigate uh, a part of the bureaucracy that is city government. Uh, it could be a uh, that I'm dealing with um, the federal government and uh, lobbying and interacting with people around a COVID relief package that might be moving through Congress. Or it could even be something happening at the state level um, that involves either the criminal justice system, the education system, or, or something else. And so I'm on calls uh, you know, all day, every day um, with elected officials across um, those levels of government. So the regular agenda in Springfield is fully underway. It seems like it's kind of on pause right now, at least in terms of um, in-person session days. But I have a number of different items or topics I feel like I could run through, but I just want to leave it open to you first. What is at the top of the mayor's Springfield agenda this year? What's the most important for the city to get done? Well, I think um, what's most important for the city and I think what's most important for the state uh, and other um, governments throughout the state is really finding a way out of um, this pandemic. And um, as you know, and as many others know, uh, the last year uh, has been a year unlike any other. The pandemic has really had a tremendous impact uh, on not only the government operations, but um, government revenues uh, and how we uh, fund the government. So the city's agenda, the mayor's agenda is going to be the same as the state's agenda, and that is trying to figure out how to deal with the challenges uh, of this pandemic. Uh, I think for us, um, Top of mind is making sure that we preserve uh, revenues that are uh, directed to the city. Um, I think it's going to be a challenge um, to get additional revenues from the state, which is why I think uh, one of our bigger priorities at the federal level is to continue to advocate for money and direct support for state and local governments. I think the mayor has been a national leader uh, in this regard, and she's gone out there uh, as I think um, the, the face of c- cities um, across the country and people who are leading 
during this pandemic in ways uh, that the federal government had not been prior to the Biden administration coming in. As far as any specific bills that will help the city get to the under end, other end of this crisis, can you can you name one? Can you pinpoint one initiative or, or bill that uh, the mayor is really going to be behind? So I think right now there are a number of bills that are being filed. And at, at this point there, you know, I think it's a bit early um, to point to specific bills since we haven't crossed any of the deadlines uh, for submission. What I will say, I think we want to make sure that we're collaborating with state leaders uh, to see uh, what their budget uh, proposal is going to look like. Uh, and certainly uh, when that happens, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to see bills being filed uh, that we're going to be in support of. The mayor, during her 2021 budget address a couple months ago, said, quote, to our partners in Springfield, we still need real pension reform. She didn't go into any more detail than that at the time. So what can the General Assembly do at this point to reform pensions such that it would really help Chicago and its taxpayers? So, look, I think this has been um, uh, one of the challenges that um, every mayor faces when they become mayor of this city. And, and this is a problem that's been decades in the making. Um, so there isn't going to be an easy solution um, to fixing the, the pension crisis. But the mayor has been very clear that something needs to happen and that she is a willing partner, not only to the state, local uh, state leaders, but also to labor leaders. Um, she's been pretty clear that she's collaborative, that we need to work together to tackle this issue. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, one of the things, one of the signature, early signature achievements of the mayor was getting approval for a Chicago casino, which earmarks the revenues um, and the profits generated from that casino towards police and fire pensions. That was huge. That was something that had never been done in the decades of Chicago mayors trying to get that accomplished. And the mayor did that. Not only did she do that in um, year one, and as you know, opening up a gaming bill can be quite a daunting challenge because that opens it up to interests far and wide. Uh, so we opened it up once to get the Chicago casino approved. And then we had to go back and open it up one more time when we um, were able to show that the tax structure uh, was not going to work. And, and I want to say that this is um, not only was this significant in terms of tackling our pension issues, but it also it also showed real collaboration because the revenues um, that are going to be generated from that casino not only go to the state, but they'll go to the I'm sorry, not only go to the city, but they also go to the state. Uh, so there's nothing more collaborative than uh, sharing in, in revenues uh, in an initiative like this one. Right. Is the mayor going to want to open that back up, do you think? Or is there any kind of trailer bill or additional tweaks to that? Or I should throw in the, the marijuana legalization um, bill. I know there's been some talk brewing of a, a trailer bill for a while. Is it either of those in the mayor's interest right now? Well, I think certainly we're, we're monitoring those conversations and there are some challenges 
um, with the with the cannabis um, uh, licensing process. I think the mayor's been uh, vocal on that. Um, so we'll, we'll certainly be in conversations uh, as those things begin to move. Gotcha. So I want to ask about an elected school board. This is something obviously that an issue that has been around for a long time. The Chicago Teachers Union has advocated a long time. And the mayor during her campaign said that she supported some version of an elected school board. We know that um, in the most recent session, she was not in favor of the uh, uh, most recent bill that, that was moving through and didn't eventually get a vote. Um, why doesn't the mayor support this bill as it stands now? And what would it have to look like to get her support? You know, if, if um, anyone who has seen uh, the mayor and knows the mayor, um, she's uh, always willing and never afraid to stand up for people um, who don't have a voice and who are not part of the process. Uh, I think one of the biggest um, concerns that the mayor has about the proposal, the, the proposal that you're referring to, uh, was that it wasn't going to guarantee representation from parents. I think that's absolutely critical uh, for any uh, bill to move forward, uh, is how do we ensure that the people who are uh, who have most at stake in sending their kids to school uh, are able to have a voice and a seat at the table? So the mayor is basically asking that uh, the proposal require that uh, um, some number of members of that elected school board are parents, or what would that bill look like? Yeah, I think she's she wants to make sure that parents have a voice and, and a seat at the table. Uh, I, I I can't tell you what the exact number is right now. I think um, that's uh, a conversation that's going to be ongoing with the legislative leaders, um, but it certainly is a concern of hers. Uh, how do we make sure that people, like I said, who have the most at stake here with sending their kids to school have, have a real seat at the table? Uh, because, you know, parents are not going to be able to, uh, many of these parents may not be able to, to finance, uh, a campaign and, and wage a campaign in order to get elected to a seat on the board. Uh, so certainly we have to build in some safeguards to ensure that the people that are, um, receiving uh, you know the the services the educational services are represented uh, on the board two years ago well I guess a little more than a year ago now the mayor presented her 2020 budget um, based in part on the state passing a um, graduated real estate transfer tax or legalizing for the city to create a graduate real estate transfer tax that did not go through last year. Um, we haven't heard a whole lot about it since. Is that still on the mayor's agenda or, or has she moved on from that proposal? You know, I think that that proposal, one, we wanted to make that tax structure progressive. Uh, currently, there's a flat uh, tax when there is a transfer uh, in real estate, either when you sell uh, a home, residential or uh, commercial property. Uh, what we wanted to do was make that a graduated structure uh, that would help uh, and cut the tax for homes under a million dollars and gradually increase the tax for the transactions over a million dollars. We thought that was fair. 
and it was and at the time it was proposed uh the commercial real estate market was booming and really the the revenue and the increases in the revenue that we were anticipating uh would have been driven by uh, com- the sale of commercial real estate Th- that's not the case anymore um i think um in light of this pandemic we've seen the commercial uh market really take a hit uh and so obviously we're going to continue to to monitor the the trends um we haven't taken this off the list completely but i i will say that you know it makes it uh challenging i think to try to get something passed uh that would not generate the the revenue um that we anticipated uh you know almost a, a year and a half ago can I ask you real quick about those DC lobbying efforts? What's your level of confidence right now that the 300 plus billion in state and local funding that the mayor has been looking for is finally going to come through? I am cautiously optimistic. Uh, and certainly every day, uh, we're pushing for it, uh, to be able to say that at the end of the day, we pushed as hard as we could, um, to get the most for the city. So, uh, I want to say we're, we're going to continue to push and certainly we have willing partners in the congressional delegation here, the the Chicago delegation, as we call it, that are actively advocating for us. Um, So we're always appreciative of their efforts. Deputy Mayor Manny Perez, thank you so much for being on and talking with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Next, you're going to hear my conversation with John Robertson, who's sort of like Cook County's version of Manny Perez. He talked about how county leaders want the Illinois General Assembly to follow up their sweeping criminal justice omnibus package they passed last month, plus how Springfield can help out uh, Cook County's 77,000-acre forest preserve district, which is in some financial trouble right now. So here's my conversation with John. John Robertson, thank you so much for being on the Cloudcast. How are you? Thank you for having me. So how did you first get into government, and what led you to the position you're in now? You know, I, I got involved in public service um, very early on. Uh, after I graduated from Limbloom uh, Technical High School, I went into the military. Uh, and so I served for five and a half years in the Air Force. Uh, three and a half of those years, I served uh, with the F-117A uh, Stealth Fighter Program, which is located in what is infamously known as Area 51 in Nevada. Uh, so I can't tell you a whole lot about that. Otherwise, I'd have to do horrible things to you. Um, but that was really the beginning of my public service career um, in in terms of, of government. But it's it's something that was really um, seeded in me very early on uh, as a child. Uh, service was a huge part of what I learned from my family uh, and through my participation in my, my church. Um, and then, you know, after leaving the Air Force, um, worked for uh, a company that was responsible for building the 911 center on the west side of Chicago. Uh, And that then led to a number of um, public sector opportunities, working at the park district to run their uh, minority and women-owned business program, uh, serving as an assistant to Mayor Daley for improvement uh, type of projects. Um, And then following that, I went to CHA uh, to head real estate development as part of the plan for transformation. Uh, and then a number of cabinet appointed positions, uh, sewers, buildings, um, created the new construction and permit department for the city. Uh, and then, you know, the biggest challenge and, and probably the one I had the most fun 
was the Department of Aviation, uh, running the busiest airport system in the world and two of the top 10 airports in the country um, was really a, a great personal and professional challenge. And so um, I really enjoyed that. And it taught me a lot uh, about public service and about managing large, multifaceted, um, complex public sector organizations. So I have to imagine that your expertise on UFO has really helped at aviation as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, and any anytime you see something flying around, it seems a little strange. You know, you just look at it and say, ah, happens all the time. So describe what your job as director of internal affairs for the county means. What what does that look like on a day to day basis? So I oversee a uh, a direct staff of about five people. Uh, and what and we are responsible for managing the uh, the federal, state, county and um, local um, legislative initiatives. Um, and that means that we monitor all the legislation that is coming out of the federal government. Uh, it means that we monitor all the things that are happening at the state level. Uh, and obviously we work with our Cook County Board, which is our, our primary uh, government entity that we interface with. And we also work with the city. And so on a daily basis, uh, what I do um, is to uh, manage um, and prioritize the president's policies and initiatives and what things are necessary from a legislative standpoint or from a relational standpoint that we need to do in order to implement those policies and to be successful in, in getting support uh, for those policies and initiatives that the president puts forth. Uh, and then obviously during the spring, um, we spend a great deal of time putting together our Springfield legislative agenda um, that, it, again, is based around um, the priorities that the president has, but also is inclusive of ideas and initiatives that come from our Cook County Board and our separately electeds. So our Springfield initiatives um, and agenda and our federal uh, are very inclusive of all of the ideas and um, initiatives uh, that are good for the overall county. So it's not just um, what is specific to the president's agenda, but we want to be inclusive and collaborative around those other things as well. So I, I imagine that doing that work with 17 county commissioners must be really different than doing it with 177 state legislators. Um, how does that list of legislative priorities get written? How does it uh, get worked through? And, and how do you execute on that? It takes a lot of listening. Um, and it's not just about coming in the door and sitting down and saying, um, hey, Representative X, you know, this is what we care about. We want your support on this. It's about listening to the things that are important to them, too, because they are representative of the same voter and constituency base that we as the county represent. In terms of how we put our legislative agenda together, um, it begins first with our discussions with our department heads and bureaus. And so uh, we ask our department heads and our bureau chiefs um, to talk to us and give us ideas about things that would um, impact their particular areas uh, in order to enhance the work that they're doing. And then we solicit uh, those same types of ideas and proposals from the separately electeds, uh, whether that's the assessor, whether that's the treasurer, uh, the county clerk. Um, we take the time to sit down and to talk through with them uh, what are the things that they would like to see change legislatively that would enhance and benefit the county and their particular operations. And we also solicit input and proposals from our county commissioners. So talking about all that 
relationship building and communication and understanding everyone's individual priorities, it's got to be a lot harder in this virtual world that we're all in, right? Where you can't really meet with people in person. Um, COVID has also really wreaked havoc on the state legislative agenda, both last year and now this year. How has COVID made your job harder? How has it changed lobby? Well, I think that um, what COVID and in these circumstances that we've been uh, dealing with over the last year has um, really um, how it's impacted us is that we're not able to really get the face time that we're used to getting. Um, you know, when you're in Springfield uh, and a legislator is leaving the floor, you, you get that 30 or 45 seconds to kind of ping the, the legislator and talk to them about the things that are important to you. Um, and so while we don't have the same face-to-face contact, what it has done is it has really helped us to be more effective in our communications with legislators uh, because now we've created uh, systems that allow us to create an information cadence with legislators and our county officials um, in a much more effective way. And I think um, they're getting information um, in a much more regular format. Uh, so that's been that's been very helpful because they, they're getting probably more information now um, than they probably have ever gotten. Uh, and it's because we realize that uh, the lack of face to face time with them requires us to communicate uh, much more regularly with them in order to keep them abreast of what's going on. So we know that in the lame duck session last month, um, President Preckwinkle was a really big supporter of the criminal justice omnibus bill uh, that was passed. What was your team's role in getting that across the finish line? Or or were you more just kind of cheering it on from the sidelines while other advocates uh, took the lead on that? Well, for us, um, you know, we, we're very proud and the, the president was very supportive of the criminal justice omnibus bill because uh, it continued the work that the president has been uh, undertaking over the last 10 years uh, as it relates to criminal justice reform. And so um, things like um, that were in the omnibus bill uh, requiring um, people who are arrested to be able to um, make their phone call within a reasonable amount of time uh, is something that was advocated for um, by our public defender and something that the president believed in. And so the president uh, instructed us to be engaged uh, and supportive of the items that we felt were critical to continuing the work of criminal justice reform. Uh, And so um, we were very engaged in terms of staying on top of the bill and the various amendments that were coming out and speaking with legislators and letting them know the impacts that those particular elements of the bill would have on the county and our work. So the criminal justice system between the courts and the jail make up a really major part of what Cook County government is and does, right? So looking ahead now, um, where does the president want to go from here as far as state law changes that would impact the criminal justice system? What is her um, legislative agenda when it comes to future criminal justice items? The president, I think, um, has said on a number of occasions um, that she believes that there has to be reform in terms of um, law enforcement. Uh, And so I think that, you know, a lot of the things that we saw in the omnibus bill related to qualified immunity, uh, related to having to wear body cameras, uh, all of those things are, are things that we 
have been talking about for a number of years. And so for us in terms of what's next, um, you know, now we, we've got to take a look at how these things get implemented and how do we um, put things in place, policies and initiatives that focus more on law enforcement serving our communities, especially communities of color, uh, and not policing them. Um, you know, we, we know that there is a difference in in the, the law enforcement strategy uh, of communities of color versus white communities. And so we've got to continue to work on that. We've got to continue to work in collaboration with law enforcement to help them to understand um, that every black man that's walking down the street is not a threat, is not a criminal. Right. So are there any specific pieces of legislation that, that you have your eye on to that end? Um, I, I think that, you know, that's going to be determined. Um, you know, there's a lot that's in this last bill. Uh, and so uh, how that gets implemented um, and operationalized throughout the county um, is really kind of our next step of, of taking a look at all the different elements that came out of the omnibus bill uh, and making sure that um, there's a way for us to implement those things so that we can have the impact that we need. So now let's talk about the Cook County Forest Preserve District, which is a much smaller relative portion of the county's budget, but it's also one of the county's biggest assets and, and one of the main ways that people interact with the county on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but it also has a lot of financial issues. It's got more than $40 million in deferred maintenance. Its pension fund is on track to be depleted in the next 20 years if it uh, doesn't get more help. So where can Springfield come in there. Um, what are your efforts to try to get more help from Springfield for the Forest Preserve District? Well, you know, the Forest Preserve faces um, similar challenges uh, as every government um, entity, county included, um, in terms of having enough resources to be able to do its operations, uh, but also kind of the future state plans and vision plans that they have for uh, expanding and growing green space uh, in Cook County. And so uh, we have heard the need for additional capital dollars specifically for the Forest Preserve, but also for the other entities that receive funding from the Forest Preserve, like Brookfield Zoo um, and others. So uh, we that is always part of our agenda, our Springfield agenda, when we go and talk to legislators um, to tell them about all of the great programs and all the great things that the Forest Preserve does and our need to make sure that we continue to invest in the Forest Preserve and invest um, capital dollars in the facilities. Um, and so last year we were able to secure uh, some funding um, to help the Forest Preserve in that regard. Uh, it was not enough, um, but it was it was something. And we're very grateful to the legislature for for providing us that funding. Uh, but it is an ongoing challenge for us. Uh, and so this year um, is no different. We're going to continue uh, going to uh, Springfield and advocating uh, for that. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to be taking a look at um, is ways that can help the Forest Reserve operate more efficiently. Uh, so one of those things is um, related to um a design build authorization bill. And essentially, you know, what that does, similar to road construction and, and other capital projects, uh, is that it gives the Forest Preserve the ability um, to do design build, meaning it gives them the ability to use 
a firm who is responsible for the design and responsible also responsible for the construction versus having two separate contracts. What that does is it will help to uh, lower the cost because having the person that designed it and then be responsible for building it, it means that there's kind of one seamless construction management program. Uh, and once they give us a, a design build number for future capital projects, they're going to have to stick to that number and they're going to have to figure out how to value engineer within that uh, versus having one person design the project and having another person come in to build it and say, well, I can't build that project that they designed. It's going to cost you $13 million more. Um, having that kind of seamless coordination uh, in the long term helps to reduce the overall cost of projects. So what else haven't we talked about that is going to be on your uh, agenda for this session in Springfield? What else are you going to be advocating for on behalf of Cook County? Um, so one of the things that uh, we want to do is um, addressing gender language on marriage records. So um, this would allow a person who's currently married uh, to request a certified copy of their marriage license with non-gendered identifiers. Um, so spouse instead of bride, for example. Um, and allows both parties prior to marriage, still currently married, uh, to ask the clerk to update their gender identifiers to a new gender, making the, the change permanent if that's what they desire. We know um, that Cook County Assessor Fritz Kage is going to be taking another pass at the data modernization bill. Uh, he's been advocating this passed the state Senate two years ago, but never got a vote in the House. Um, this would essentially require property owners to disclose more information to assessors' offices purportedly for uh, the purpose of getting more accurate tax assessments. Is that bill an effort that you and your team are, are going to be really involved in pushing this year, or is that one where you know the assessors' office is on its own? We're, we're very supportive of the um, assessors' uh, efforts to um, modernize and reform the tax assessment system. The providing of that information uh, in the bill that he is specifically focused on um, is something that the president has encouraged us to assist with and to uh, be supportive of in terms of um, its impact on Cook County. And so uh, we are working with the assessor on that and, and we're proud to do so uh, because it's good for Cook County. And how about uh, the bill that was proposed last year by Cook County Treasurer Maria Pappas to delay the annual tax sale by a couple months? The idea behind this is that it would um, give taxpayers a little bit more time to get current before the county uh, repossesses the, the deeds on some properties. Where are uh, Where's your team on that? Well, I think that, you know, it's something that, as you know, you know, there are a lot of bills and a lot of ideas out there. And what you got to do is you got to figure out how to um, influence and persuade legislators to support it. Uh, so it's not that uh, policy and, and bills like that are bad. It's just that we've got to figure out where those uh, where the, where the constituencies that are going to be willing to support that. And so um, we're still assessing um, and still doing that work to find out uh, what the prospects are for passing that bill. But, you know, look, it, it's something that the treasurer has been advocating for and she thinks is very important. Uh, and so we are, want to be supportive of that and we're going to be supportive in any way that we can. One thing we haven't talked about yet is the county's advocacy in D.C. Um, we know there's probably a lot more help to be had from the federal government right now than there is from the state government, which has its own 
fiscal problems. Um, talk about what the county's efforts are as far as lobbying DC legislators and um, what is your level of confidence that the direct payments to state and local governments that the county has been waiting and waiting for could finally come um, in this new administration? Well, um, I think that it is of no surprise that the president is ecstatic uh, about the change in administrations. Um, I think she would tell you that it was very difficult working with the previous administration. Um, but just in the short time that President Biden and Vice President Harris have been in, um, there has been positive movement uh, in terms of uh, what they have talked about in terms of support for local municipalities and local government. Uh, and so, you know, the big thing for us is, is trying to find additional monies um, that will help us to offset um, the revenue losses that we've experienced over the last year with our sales taxes and, and a variety of other things that have really impacted us. Uh, and so that's for us really is the big thing. We're saying to uh, the Biden administration um, that what is really important is to get monies to local governments uh, who have been hurt with the reduction of revenues uh, so that we can continue to support and provide assistance here at the local level to our residents and our businesses. I know that President Biden's American Rescue Plan proposal, that $1.9 trillion stimulus proposal uh, that he is proposing, that includes more than $300 billion in direct payments for state and local governments. Um, what is your confidence that that can now pass through Congress with narrow Democratic majorities in both chambers? Well, you know, I think that uh, from what we've heard so far, um, you know, obviously there's a great deal of support uh, for the president's bill in the House. Um, and now that we have a 50-50 split um, in the Senate with Vice President Harris being the deciding vote, um, we are very optimistic that we're going to be able to uh, to get a bill passed because it is so critically important to our nation's economy and to our local economy. Um, I, I think that there is also... Um, you know, one area that we really want to um, look at going forward is an infrastructure bill. Um, you know, we've got bridges and roads um, that need repair. We've got infrastructure um, that needs to be constructed. Uh, and those things create jobs and those uh, types of projects uh, help fuel the local economy. And so, um, you know, I'm very hopeful that, you know, at some point there will be an introduction of an infrastructure bill that will um, really serve as the catalyst for jumpstarting our economy in terms of jobs, uh, but also providing needed uh, capital funding uh, to help us to maintain our infrastructure here so that we can maintain our competitive advantage here in the county uh, in attracting uh, strong businesses who are going to uh, employ local residents. So what else should people know about your work? You know, I, I think that, you know, for me, um, you know, one of the things that I what I love about this job is that I get a chance to get up every single day uh, and I get a chance to work on behalf of a president and a board um, who are really focused on trying to improve the quality of life of residents in our in our county. I get up every day loving to get to work and do this job. 
Uh, it is. It, it, it's a great opportunity. And, you know, county government is very different from the city uh, because there's not as much direct um, service provision to residents. Um, you know, the three big pieces that we deal with, as we've talked about, uh, is around health care. It's around criminal justice and it's around taxation. Um, and sometimes that that gets lost because nobody wants to pay taxes. Nobody wants to get sick and go to the hospital and nobody wants to go pay tickets. Uh, so sometimes it's hard for people to make the connection as to why county government is so valuable. But I think that over the last 12 months, when we take a look at um, the rolling out now of the vaccine, um, how we have been able to deal with the COVID pandemic, um, how we work with local mun municipalities um, in terms of providing them funding that help them to support and uh, provide resources to their local residents, you really get a chance to see um, government work in a way that is so extraordinary. John Robertson, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And please watch out for those aliens. Let us know if there's anything we need to be worried about there. No, Alex, thank you for having me on. Look forward to uh, seeing you again and look forward to continuing to keep in touch. All right, that is it for this episode of the Cloudcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Chicago Deputy Mayor for Intergovernmental Affairs, May Perez, and Cook County Director of External Affairs, John Robertson, for being on. This episode was produced by me, Alex Nifkin, and edited by Joel Ebert. We'll see you again for another episode in two weeks.